Hi, everyone. Okay. Hi. Good to see you guys. Okay. Um, we'll continue on in uh, our series in Book of Mark. Uh, let me uh, read for us uh, the passage from uh, Mark 2, and then we'll go into the message together. Verse 23, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he was hungry? He and those who were with them, uh, you know, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar. Uh, the high priest and ate the bread of the presence which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also gave it to those who were with him and he said to them the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath so the son of man is lord even of the sabbath again he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. That is God's word. Now let's pray together before we go any further. Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, the local church uh, that we can call home, uh, that we can um, just comfortably worship you and uh, be comforted uh, by one another's presence here. I pray that you would uh, uh, further comfort us and encourage us and um, you know, propel us as your people as we strive to uh, do your will, God. We need uh, more of your empowerment, God, as we are um, you know, going through these times of you know, transitions and uh, many new things that we need to get used to and uh, God, we need your grace. Unite us as your church and help us to uh, you know, sit under your word um, and uh, get to see your heart towards us as a community so that we can um, you know, go further along um, knowing that you're going with us, God. Help us, Lord. Uh, speak to us, pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of today's message is The Healing of Hard Hearts. Um, the topic will be on the, uh, the Sabbath. We'll be learning about what that really means and you know, what's God's purpose uh, for that. Uh, but I named it uh, the healing of hard hearts because we'll see the hard hearts of the Pharisees in regards to God and, and the, the Sabbath. So we'll go from there. And uh, the three points uh, I have for you all as you... Uh, follow along uh, are first fortress of hard hearts and second the healer of hard hearts and the third the redemption of hard hearts 
First, the portrait of hard hearts. Verse 23, it says this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Uh, let me just explain what's going on here. I mean, at first, it kind of sounds random. Like, why are they plucking heads of grain in somebody else's field? You know, like you said, for fun, or are they trying to pull a prank on the owner of the field? Uh, the background is this. Um, I'll read for us uh, this verse from Leviticus, verse 23, uh, or, or chapter 23, verse 22. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. I just love it whenever I read passages like this in Old Testament because I get to see God's heart for those who are marginalized. Uh, the verse is saying that how God uh, you know, prescribed this law for Israel that farmers uh, should intentionally uh, not harvest all their field but leave some in the field so that the poor and needy people in the community could come and have the leftover grain and not starve to death. So with this context in mind, it, it makes sense why the disciples are, do, disciples are doing what they're doing. You know, we conjecture that the disciples of Jesus are rather poor. You know, they, you know, we saw that they left their jobs as fishermen, and now they're assisting Jesus and his ministry on the road, um, you know, without regular income. And on this one Sabbath, you know, they're probably really hungry and have no food to eat. So abiding by God's benevolent uh, law provided in the Old Testament that we just read, uh, they're plucking the heads of the grain to cook and eat them. All are good. Nothing is violated. And yet, this bothers the Pharisees. Verse 24. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? What is not awful? What is not lawful? What do they mean by that? Uh, you know, we've been seeing, we've been studying the, the Pharisees, right? We've been seeing the studying the, the scribes uh, that they like to go extra far in their um, keeping of the law for their hardcore religiosity. And for the Sabbath, which is not only religious, but also national pride for the Jews at the time, they spelled out, they added uh, 39 artificial rules to define what it means to uh, you know, not work on the Sabbath. Uh, these were very exhaustive rules and even ridiculous. Let me give you one example. Uh, one of them said, no cooking. Uh, and yet, it's okay to have salad. What do they mean? When you put together salad, you don't boil or roast the vegetables so the, the properties of the vegetables stay the same. It's still like hard and solid, right? But once you boil or roast them, the properties become, you know, like soft and it's, it's changed. And they define that as cooking and they define it as working. Uh, so that's one of the examples. And another example, another one of those rules was 
no reaping grain in the field on the Sabbath. And that's what the, the Jews are using to accuse the disciples of violating uh, you know, God's law. So right away, you can see that uh, unlike God's heart to bless and benefit people, these guys you know, stick to these man-made rules uh, and, and make people suffer unnecessarily. And, and as a result, they actually violate God's good law of protecting people and benefiting people. And next few verses uh, prove this even further. Verse 1 and 2. Uh, a different scene here. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath uh, so that they might accuse him. Uh, you know, Healing was another thing that was prohibited, although it's not part of the 39 rules, but the rabbis said, you know, healing is working too. Although they did allow some emergency uh, situations such as, you know, childbirth or life-threatening situations. But still, healing is normally not allowed. Uh, and what's interesting here is that um, the Pharisees, not only are they, you know, just like being there in synagogue, synagogue to worship, but they're waiting for Jesus to break the rule. That's what's happening here. They're intentionally waiting for him to break the rules so that they can get him in trouble. What that means is right away you see their heart. They're trying to use the rules for their self-interest. You know, in this case, trying to get power over their religious rival, namely Jesus. And verse 5, Jesus sees right through it. Uh, it says, And he looked around at them with anger grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. You know, Jesus sees what's in their hearts, which is this hardness towards God and other people. It's all about themselves. Me, me, me. And, and that angers Jesus on the one hand, but on the other, we see his grief out of love for the poor sinners. You know, last week we saw uh, legalism. And just like then, now to the rules are really designed to benefit the Pharisees themselves and expand their own kingdom and their own power instead of using them for God's glory and the benefit of others. And in fact, if we're honest, we are like that too. Uh, you know, you might be familiar with this concept called the five love languages, right? Um, you know, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, uh, thoughtful gifts, and physical touch. Basically, different ways that, you know, um, the author Gary Chapman uh, argued that people feel loved by. The premise is that, you know, if people understand one another's love languages and express love according to those love languages, uh, then there will be healthy exchange of love and you know uh, improvement in relationships and marriages, things like that. And I think it's helpful too. I think uh, you know it can be redeemable in many different ways. But I thought that um, we could use this tool um, to detect some selfish desires and sinful expectations we may have towards others. What do I mean? Uh, you know, 
One example, you know, if my love language towards, uh, or if my love language is words of affirmation, you know, I may naturally expect people to give me affirming, affectionate words, right? And I feel drawn to people who give me what I want, you know, sweet words and encouraging words, while I may dismiss or even hate people who don't give me the words that I want, or, you know, or those who give me harsh, offensive words. You know, I get hurt and, you know, I don't want that. That's my expectation towards people. Those are the rules that I set up for other people. Also, if my love language is quality time, you know, I may like, you know, those who are willing to sacrifice their, their time with me, for me, and, and do some quality things together. Uh, while, you know, you'd want to avoid people who are just, you know, using you and not really doing serious things with you while you're spending time with them. And lastly, uh, probably most comprehensive of all is if my love language is acts of service, then I would ex expect people to serve me, right? You know, that's essentially what all this is all about. You know, I expect people to serve me as king and queen. You see, these are the rules that we have. Uh, if we're not on guard, right, of ourselves, we are selfish. We want people to love us, give us love. And that's what's happening with Pharisees too. They had these rules, um, you know, purportedly, sorry, purportedly um, glorifying God through those rules, but they're actually using them um, for themselves. That's the portrait of hard hearts. That's what Mark is trying to say here. Second, the healer of hard hearts. So what does God do about these hard hearts? Uh, I think if we're not careful, if we just kind of, you know, brush through this, this passage, we may just conclude that there's a showdown going on between the Pharisees and Jesus, meaning that they're just trying to get each other. They're trying to destroy one another. And it's true that that's the aim of the Pharisees. Uh, they're trying to ruin Jesus. But it's wrong to conclude that Jesus is likewise trying to destroy Pharisees. Because back in verse 5, we saw that you know, Jesus is indeed angry at them. But at the same time, he grieves for them because they're so lost as sinners. And that, my friends, are the heart of God. For, for us, for sinners. Meaning that, you know, God is the perfection of love, right? So that even anger comes out of his care for the sinners. In other words, you know, he's angry and sad at the fact that the sinners are destroying themselves by going down the path of living for themselves. And that's like, you know, a parent, you know, who would be, angry and yet heartbroken over their child's addiction problem, for example. God is angry because he cares. Anger in the right context is the deep sign, clear sign of God's love for us. So that's why we see throughout the Bible, God is angry, but he's pursuing after sinners all throughout human history. And ultimately, he sends his son Jesus to die on the cross so that on the cross, the Bible says, the sinners die with Jesus to their old 
hard hearts, and at the same time, they are given the new heart of Jesus, now being able to live for God and others. Meaning, the cross truly heals our hearts, truly heals the sinners. And so back to our passage, we see Jesus reaching out to the Pharisees to heal them, you see. It's not just harsh rebuke. He's trying to heal them here of their legalism. And he does that, we'll see, by two things. First, he establishes himself as God they must live for. And second, he shows the value of human lives over rules. And these are the next two points in the sermon. First, Jesus shows that he is the king and lord they must live for. Verse 28, it says, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Big words there because, first, Son of Man, we saw uh, last week or a few weeks ago that it's a messianic title from Daniel 7 uh, that indicates the universal rule of the Messiah. He's not just the promised one, period, but he is to be the king of the universe, King Messiah. And also here, Lord even of the Sabbath. I mean, even without connecting that to Jesus, just right away, you know, who is the Lord? Who is the owner of the Sabbath? Logically, that's God, right? Because God is the one that instituted the, the, the Sabbath in Old Testament. So connected together with Son of Man, what Jesus is saying is that He is God. He has the authority. He's the owner. He's the king. And he's the focal point of the Sabbath. And what's interesting is, you know, we've been studying the book of Mark, and there has been crescendo of um, the magnitude and the scope of the authority of Jesus. You know, we saw that Jesus has the authority over, you know, demons, his teaching, uh, you know, uh, the physical illness, and most recently, his ability to uh, forgive sins, his authority in salvation. And now Mark unveils even bigger scale that he's the Lord even of the Sabbath, the one who is uh, the owner and the Lord over the whole Old Testament system, the whole Bible. He's the authority of the whole uh, human salvation history. So we have to wonder that he's not, Jesus is not only you know, beyond being a mere human, but also he is God. If he is God, then he is the, the top authority over all the things that we are dealing with right now. And the, the Pharisees must listen to what Jesus prescribes about the Sabbath and all other things rather than insisting on their own rules. You know, human rules, again, versus God's rules. We have to choose God's rules over our selfish rules. Deb and I uh, have Amazon Prime. We don't have Netflix, cool enough for that. But we have Amazon Prime. And uh, we like to browse through you know, movies and TV shows uh, that are included in you know, Prime videos. And recently, we decided to check out this show called uh, How I Met Your Mother. Uh, because we've heard so many, I guess, good things about the show. Um, 
just as a side comment, uh, if you want to hear my honest view on that show, I think it's all right. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm not judging anybody that, that, that loves the show. I can see why you like it, but I'm like, ah, okay, it's all right. But anyways, the point is, I got pretty impatient after first few episodes and I'm like man you know I want to know who the mother is and what's gonna happen to that mother so I went to the Wikipedia page and I read the whole like ending and everything and I was like okay and then I read another blurb uh, under that section it said that they came up with the alternative ending for the show and the reason was because people got so mad at how the show ended and how, like, what happened to the mother or whatever, right? And I'm like, I was like, what? They created alternative ending just to please these viewers? But the fact of the matter is, a lot of shows do that, right? Because it's a lot of money. They have to create all this alternative ending for these shows um, because they have to, you know, that, that's what they, what they do to please the viewers. Um, and I think the sad reality is that that's what we do with God too. You know, we want to have control over our own stories and agendas. And when things do not go according to our plans, you know, we want to write our own alternative endings. And therefore, the Pharisees wrote their own Sabbath rules, um, you know, about, you know, all these things. And we set up our own rules about what successful life is and how people should you know, treat us and serve us on and on. You know, we don't like you know, things just going out of control. But thank God that God is not like the, the show producers. Uh, you know, he doesn't change his story just to cater to us. He's sovereign and guess what? He knows what's best. He sticks to his story and he keeps it going. He knows what benefits us the most, and he knows what glorifies him the most. Um, so he wants us to align our story with his, instead of sticking to our own rules. We have to get out of the trap of our hard hearts. And I think a good gauge of how we are doing with this uh, is to observe how we react when things do not turn out the way we want in our lives. You know, how do we react? Do we act in anger, frustration, frantically trying to fix the problems? I mean, nothing's wrong with trying to fix problems, but how far do we go? Uh, or do we try to discern what God's will is at that moment? And also try to see whether God is trying to you know, use those circumstances to grow our character. Because his highest aim is not to make us happy uh, just because, you know, circumstances are great, but his biggest aim in our lives is to make us more like Jesus. So do we trust? Here's the bottom line. Here's the core of this, this matter. Do we trust that God is good? Do we trust that whenever things do not go the way we want, we trust that that's the best option that God is presenting to us. Is He the authority and Lord even of the Sabbath and even of our lives? 
We need to get out of our hard hearts. And lastly, the redemption of hard hearts. So now we got to see, you know, God's design, God's story uh, in regards to the Sabbath. So let's look together. Verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. So straightforward there. This is what uh, the Pharisees got wrong at. You know, they valued their own rules over the dignity of human beings. You know, God created humans in his image, you know, graciously giving you humans the place of honor over all creation. But if you place rules over humans, you're demeaning the value of God-given, you know, dignity of human beings. But in contrast, we see the scriptures uh, saying that God made the Sabbath especially for the benefit of human beings, especially for their joy. And the same theme echoes in the last few verses here, verse 3 and 4. It says, And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And they were silent. And it's a rhetorical question. We know the answer. Of course, it's right to do good for human lives and save lives on the Sabbath rather than to do harm and to kill. And God is trying to make his point very clear here then, that God wills that humans find life, joy, and freedom by observing the Sabbath. That's the purpose. That's, in fact, the purpose of all of his law, not just the Sabbath. You know, God wants us to find true joy by observing this thing called the Sabbath. And as we do that, we get to also support other people to find joy, life, and freedom through the Sabbath. And therefore, the Pharisees should have encouraged the healing of the paralyzed man. So the Sabbath is a good thing. And let me illustrate that uh, by surveying the birth of the Sabbath in the Old Testament. And please follow with me. And I think it'll be helpful for us to see, you know, how God, why God made the Sabbath in more detail here. It's a long passage, but let me read for us. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. It says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, and any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Here's a key point. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day holy, to keep the Sabbath day. It's a very deep thing here because it's saying that, you know, God made the Sabbath because Israelites experienced slavery in Egypt. Meaning, you know, the Pharaoh, if you know the story in in Exodus, Pharaoh and Egyptians, you know, ruled over 
Israelites and they gave them no rest, right? That's what slavery means. They had no choice, but they had to work, work, work. That's the whole system of oppression. And as a result, their lives were miserable and they were living like subhumans. But now that God is bringing his people out into the promised land, now God has to detox his people, um, you know, from the slave lifestyle that they're used to so that they can live like full humans again because they are made in his image. You see, I believe this is what God wants us to, not just Israelites, not just Jews or whoever, you know, uh, uh, tries to keep the Sabbath. I mean, would you agree that we are slaves too? That we have our own Egypt too? I mean, our Egypt could be our work, our school, you know, the expectation of the world and cultures around us, pressures, and even bad entertainment. These are good things, right, that we can be good witnesses at. However, how often do these things enslave us? Like, do you ever feel that you are being used? Do you ever feel so stressed out uh, and, and you're, you just feel pressed to want to quit? We have to, as slaves, satisfy their desires day in and day out. You know, we were, again, created in God's image to rule over the creation. But sin like this make us be ruled over by these things. So we're tired. We're losing ourselves. We're losing our identity. And that's why God is saying, well, by the way, now that Jesus came, we don't have to keep the Sabbath on Saturdays anymore because he fulfilled all the rules like that. But now we keep the principles. We use the principles for our benefit. Meaning when we intentionally take the Sabbath in our lives, however that may look, we can break free from the oppression of slavery in our lives. That's the key here. That God wants us to be free through the gift of the Sabbath. So again, not just the Saturdays, but it can look very different for every person depending on your schedule. And let me share with you what I try to do. And let me preface this by saying that I struggle. Uh, being a perfectionist, I've struggled with rest. But here's what I try to do. You know, I shared last week again that, you know, I try to take at least 10 to 15 minutes during the day to pause and pray because I'm nuts <laughs> during the day. I'm just so enslaved. I know it. I have to pause and remind myself of what I'm doing this for. And also, a lot of pastors take Mondays off, and I, I try to do that too, to do some creative things, you know, like walking outside, or um, I used to do, um, you know, landscaping, which failed, so not do that anymore. Uh, try, try to find something more creative than that. But try to do something different than just work, work, work on Mondays. And lastly, um, for me, not to make this, you know, like try to spiritualize or anything, but 
I really view my daily quiet time as time to rest because these are the times when I really got to cry well with God. And I felt so refreshed uh, this past few months just going before God, just rest in Him, in being embraced by Him. Again, I'm sharing this, not you know, saying that I succeed at this, but maybe I'm just asking for accountability. Um, I don't want to you know, model for you workaholism. That's anti-Bible, right? As we just saw, God wants the Sabbath for us. God wants us to be free and enjoy His goodness in our work. But may I grow to rest well. Work well for Him. May you do that too. May we all get to grow to know how to work joyfully and rest joyfully because that is what God wants for His children. He is a good, good Father. Let's pray together. Spend some time um, letting the Word seep into our hearts Um, let's admit that you know naturally our hearts are hard Um, but what a promise that Jesus is out to break into our hearts he's out to heal us whatever it takes Um, sometimes it may look like you know he's rebuking know the Pharisees and um, it may not look like a loving thing to do but as we just saw um, that's his love for us he wants to heal our hearts by giving us uh, true Lord to live for by giving us the true uh, way to use tools like the Sabbath not be used by it but use God's gift well and not to assume a lot of things about us but are we tired because of a lot of different things but isn't that amazing isn't that comforting that our Heavenly Father knows us He wants us to rest because even when we don't do things the world will still run because he runs it and he still loves us even when we do not work so let's enjoy this time in God's presence longing and hoping and asking God to grow us to live in the beauty of the gospel namely resting in his love Let's pray together. Let's pray together uh, before uh, finish for us. Uh, let's spend some time just resting in His grace right now. And um, again, God is good to us. Um, I think it really starts from you know us knowing who God is, right? Uh, do we know that He's good? Do we trust Him? quietness and trust do we trust him lord help us to trust him lord help us to um, 
rest, stop striving after the wind. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Spend some time and I'll uh, close for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your heart towards us. Um, we definitely need a lot of uh, detox from this world um, where you know, we spend majority of our days and weeks um, you know, in, the, in the world where we are constantly being remind of, reminded of um, you know, our merit and value based on our performance. And uh, we want to come back to you, Lord, where you remind us of your gospel that says uh, you love us because of who we are in Christ. If we can earn um, your love, then Jesus would not have had to die on the cross, but he did to earn our salvation and favor and joy and love for us on our behalf. So help us to cast ourselves in, in you Help us to grow to enjoy more of the freedom that we have in Christ. Help us, Lord. Especially, uh, you know, God, um, each one of our hearts right now in this room or joining us, um, those who are joining us um, through the live stream, uh, that uh, you, know, you know those of us who have been just so burdened um, you know, by different things going on in their lives. I pray that you would uh, encourage them even right now, and, and lift their burdens up. Um, help them experience the joy of your peace and rest. 